Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 31 here on the podcast, and today we are fortunate enough to have the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, former Boilermaker himself, Conzo Martin, joins us from uh, Columbia. Uh, Zoe, how you doing? Doing well, bro. How you guys doing? We're doing great. We are doing great. Um, it's uh, thanks for taking time. I know it's really uh, it, it's a busy, uh, obviously a busy time of year for all of us, and we appreciate you fitting us in. Um, we we connected with uh, Paul Lusk on our last podcast. We talked to him last week, so um, thought it would be cool to, to to reach out to some of our former assistants, and then obviously uh, things go back a lot farther with you, obviously having played here and everything. Um, I wanted to start the podcast with a story that is that is told a lot around here, um, and that is and that is the story of the Indians hat between you and Larry. So I, I think the, the, the hat that Clear stole from me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I paid twenty five dollars for that. So hat. I'll let, I'll let Cliz tell the the Indians hat story. Well, we're on the we're getting on the plane. We're on the plane, and he's. He's he's arriving and going to the back seat of the. And he's a player know, at this. He's a player, right? Okay. And he's got on the coolest hat. Now now, Conzo's a good looking dude, and he has and he wears these baseball hats really when he was young. They just looked good on him, and he had this Cleveland Indian hat that was not Cleveland Indian colors. It was it was a maroon bill with a gold crown, and then that <laughs> Chief Wahoo on the top, and it just it just captivated me as he walked by. I said, Hey, Zo. How much for that cap? He doesn't hesitate a moment. He goes, 25 bills. I got it out of my hand so fast. Totally illegal, obviously. He's a player. I'm an announcer, and I just bought that hat from him, and I've had it ever since. Now, the beauty of it is that was 1994, so it's been 23 years. I still have the hat. And I had him. I said, "Now I give you the money, but you got to sign it for me sometime." And he did. And I've I've, I've uh, actually laundered that thing twice, you know, because I and I start wearing after about five years. I said, "Heck, that's a nice hat. I'm not gonna, you know, what, where's Conzo? I don't even know where he is. I'm gonna start wearing it. So I got sweat <laughs> all over it, and you know, all that. But then I decided to launder it, and you can still see the signature to this day. I actually, and I'm really upset because I have it in the back seat of my jeep but it's down underneath underneath everything all scrunched down. <laughs> i mean it hardly exists that hat hardly exists and i've held it over his head for years you win this one and i guarantee you'll get it you win this one i guarantee you get it he still does not have it but i promise you so you're gonna get it someday i just don't know what condition it will be in <laughs> but i appreciate that clear that was a, that was a nice hat though oh that was one of the finest i ever saw never saw another copy like it i mean it's unbelievable so well Zoe, i wanted to talk about um i wanted to start um with your upbringing in east st louis um and uh we'll, we'll kind of go we'll touch on some parts of your journey um and what kind of led you to purdue but um, talk about your upbringing in, in East St. Louis. Um, not not a standard. Uh, I mean, everybody's got their own unique journey, but you know, talk about the uniqueness of your uh, experience as a, in, in your childhood. Well, I, I think that the biggest thing. Um, um, I, t- I take a lot of pride in representing East St. Louis, Illinois, um, and, and it's, it's, it's who I am. 
you know, and going through it, you know, people said it was tough when I left East St. Louis, and and I, I witnessed a lot of things. Things I think at between the ages of fourteen and seventeen, you probably don't want to witness. Uh, but things I saw, uh, I was exposed to. Uh, but but it was the, the unfortunate thing in going through it. It was normal. When I got to West Lafayette. Then I started to see things differently. Just as you grow and you get older, you start to understand, wow, that wasn't normal. Um, and, and then you you try to find ways to make it work and be better to do right and be right and live right. And I started to grow when I was in West Lafayette. Not that I was a bad person in the beginning, and I, I didn't kick up a lot of dust, but again, I saw a lot of things. And it just, you know, my mom did a good job in trying to give us balance. And I, and I said all the time, you know, because oftentimes the perception is when you grow up in project housing in rough environments, you think everybody's rough and tough and it's violent. Well, my mom never drank smoke. She never used curse words in that environment. And we was raised in that. And, and not every family was like that. But my, my mom, she didn't do that. She didn't have a high school diploma. She struggled to make ends meet. She worked at a, at a bar at night. Uh, and then she also worked at the Mayfair Hotel, Mayfair, Mayflower Hotel, downtown St. Louis. So at that, when she working late nights, my brother and I, he's he's only two years older, but at that time, he was probably the closest thing to a father to me, but he, again, two years old. So we got into a lot of things at, you know, one, two, three o'clock in the morning. And some nights it was school nights, I mean, school days the next day. So, you know, uh, you just learn some lessons and you understand the value as you get older, what life is about and to appreciate uh, and understand what kids go through. So when I recruit and when I have relationships, or even when I speak to young men and women, because I've been in it, I know what it looks like and I know what it feels like. So I try to have compassion for people and what they go through in life because you never know what somebody's going through and you can't assume anything about how somebody was raised and how they live. Right. I think that's one of the big things, and and not to get too, uh, not to veer off course too much, but in society today, not enough people take a step back and put themselves in somebody else's shoes. Uh, even if that's for you know ten seconds, just to think about what that person's world looks like, what their what their experiences would have been, and I, I think if anybody does that, no matter your age, race, uh, sex, whatever it might be, I think it just it gives it gives everybody more empathy towards people. And one of the things that's great about athletics is it brings and and specifically college basketball is it brings guys together from so many different backgrounds. And I have to think that, as you talked about, when you got to Purdue, it kind of opened your eyes to a bunch of things. Um, but it opens everybody in that locker room's eyes to different backgrounds that all your teammates have as well. And and that's one of the I think that's one of the cool things about being parts of a team, whether you're a player, assistant coach, or now head coach, is is getting all those guys together and buy, having them buy in on the same uh, mission, so to speak. I think it's a good point. The thing I say all the time when I, when I go around speaking and I, and I speak to superintendents of schools, and I say that, that the best way to build our country and to make it a better place is through sports. And what I mean by that is because when I walked in a locker room in West Lafayette, Indiana, when I left East St. Louis, East St. Louis was 100% African-American. When I left East St. Louis to West Lafayette, obviously you have different backgrounds. And, you know, as strange as it is, even though I had history classes, in my mind, and it just I guess it's naive and not understanding, I always thought it was white and black. I didn't understand, even though I had a history class, but there were Italian guys in the locker room, guys that were of Russian descent. I just thought it was black and white. So mm-hmm. I learned a lot of lessons. Uh, even though I had class 
from first grade to senior in high school, I learned a lot of lessons in that locker room with my teammates, and I had great relationships with those guys. I mean, white, black, it didn't matter. We had genuine relationships because I valued them as men, as young men at the time. We, we had our differences, but we had love for each other. We wanted to see each other successful. And uh, I think that's where you learn a lot of life lessons in locker rooms, whatever the sport is, because if your teammate can't confront you, with tough situations and tough lessons, then who can? Because that's the one person that knows you. So, and I've always, I was always a guy that was a leader, and I didn't mind telling my teammates what they need to hear because they knew I cared for them and I, and I had passion for their success. And more important, I had passion for our team winning. So, if that means me challenging you and, 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 and what we say crawling in you to get you to understand what we need to get done, then that was my job to do it. How early on, I mean, how early on did you? know that you had a basketball gift do you remember an age or a time in your childhood when you thought hey this is either comes easy to me or I'm good at it or when did that start to develop I think it was uh, it was about the I, I didn't understand it but when I was in the fourth grade now my, my, my thing was baseball I love I used to love playing baseball but I guess because I was tall uh, they wanted me to play basketball and I'll never forget they took me off the baseball field to go play basketball, and I was in tears. I didn't, I didn't want to play at all because I love baseball that much. And then I guess maybe in the seventh grade, I, I guess they started to see things in me, uh, and it just kind of went from there. But I, I never felt like I was a great player, and I said it with all sincerity. I thought I was a good role player because I wasn't the fastest guy, the highest jumper, the tallest guy. I wasn't a great shooter and all those things. I just took a lot of pride in trying to be the best player as far as work ethic having a level of toughness, not being afraid to embrace challenges, all those things. I try to do that in the process. You try to, you work to make yourself a better basketball player. But even at Purdue, I always felt like you know, the best player I ever played with was Glenn Robson, and I felt like when he was there, we had a lot of really good role guys, but no star power outside of him, but we had a great team. Uh, well, there's one guy probably uh, – the great thing about Conzo Martin is number one is his name. We'll get to that in a moment. But the second thing is, nobody worked harder than he worked. And uh, we were, Coach Painter and I were talking the other day about Dakota Mathias has been moving up the three-point uh, chart, three-point goals made. And uh, we were looking at the numbers and we were seeing where Conzo was. And Matt always says, yeah, but remember, Conzo did that in two years. Right. The rest of these guys are doing it in four years. And that is true. Think about that. And uh, star power I'll never forget, and I, I keep saying this, uh, the game to behold in uh, this guy's career, Tennessee, 1994, Knoxville, Tennessee, playing Kansas, Sweet 16. Glenn knocks down 44, but this cat had 29. Think about that, 73 over 83 from those two guys. That's a lot of kissing the crowd and putting up the three. <laughs> <laughs> Zoda, did, did you see basketball as a way out? of your situation as a child did that ever did yes, that ever yes, I, I, Go ahead. I think so but but I, I didn't you know again as a child i felt like east st louis is the greatest place in the world right and i say that I because i don't I, yeah i don't want to knock that your upbringing because yeah. but at, at the same time like it's hard to see like you reference it's hard to know that there is an outside world yes well, what happened was once I got to high school, then everybody started talking because really it was, it was baseball. It was more baseball until maybe 13, 14. Then basketball became serious. 
then, you know, the high school coach started talking about, you know, scholarships. I didn't know what a scholarship meant. I was just playing ball. And, and not to get not not to be naive, but East St. Louis was my world. Uh, we didn't have a professional basketball team, so the high school team was our professional team. So that was my whole goal to play on East St. Louis Lincoln's high school team. And, and, and then as you get older, you start to realize and you look at your environment and, and you don't have a lot of things as far as clothing, a lot of shoes. You don't have a lot of things at home. You don't, you don't have access to a lot of things. We, we never had a car growing up, so we didn't have a lot of things. And, and my mom did a good job trying to make it work. So what happened is just got to a point where I said, I need to do everything in my power to make sure my mom is happy. Now, what that was, I had no clue. I, I really didn't. It just I knew I wasn't going to do any drugs or anything like that. But I, I had to find a way to make sure my wife, my mom could smile. And that was my whole goal, to, to see her happy. And that was it. And again, I, I didn't really have a blueprint of what that was. Mm-hmm. So you get to the point where your talent's recognized, you're starting to get recruited. Um, talk about like the decision, uh, You know who it kind of came down to basketball-wise uh, to continue your career at the collegiate level and then ultimately why you ended up here at Purdue. Well, it... it I mean, a lot of people in the country recruiting, but my, my high school coach kind of controlled the recruitment. And if everything would have went the way it was going, and, and not just my high school coach, even for me, I would have went to Illinois. Uh, and that was the plan. Just because we went to their camps, we had relationships with the guys. Mm-hmm. But when they got in the situation with, with, with years back, 88, 89, with the Deion Thomas stuff and all that took place, and you, not knowing with their NCAA probation, and some people were talking about the death penalty, so you didn't know. So then I started looking at other schools, and it, and it came down to Purdue and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And, and and the reason why it came down to those two schools, and, and I'm grateful to have people in my life that really valued me and understood me as a person and where I came from, because those two coaches were tough, hard-nosed kind of guys that at the time could help me in life. And again, not, not that I was a bad person or anything, but somebody could keep me balanced and not allow me to give up, not allow me to let up and not allow me to get back home and get caught up in the wrong things. So when it came down to it, Purdue and Connecticut did the best job in recruiting me. And and I'll, I'll tell you the story with, with Coach. When Coach came in, uh, Coach just said the, the two things, and I, and I say this when I recruit guys all the time, I still talk about it. And even when I talk about when you're recruiting with integrity, when Coach came in, Coach said, uh, if he work hard, he'll play. And if he go to class, he'll get a degree. Now, he didn't promise anything and all that. He didn't promise starting time. Now, other schools came in, promised, you know, benefits, extra things outside of NCAA standards. Mm-hmm. But Coach said if he go to class every day, he'll get a degree. If he work hard, he'll play. And the the night before I made a decision, I, I, I was in tears. I was, I was talking to my mom. And she said, um, you know, it's your choice. But I think Purdue is a good place for you because I think he's a good man. And she didn't know, Coach. I mean, she she didn't understand. All, all she knew was her son was, you know, obviously going away from home. He can get his school and play for That's the most important thing for her. Not about playing. She never talked about how many minutes he would play. And all she cared about was her son being successful in life. So when Coach said that, and she just said, I, you know, because she, she didn't know which one is which. And she went on the visits. But all she said was, I think he's a good man. I think that'll be a good place for you. But it's your decision. Uh-huh. I chose to go to Purdue, and it worked out for me because the accountability and coach, coach didn't give me anything. He made me work for everything, and he, and he was. Uh, people say, and I, I use the word hard, and I'll say it just because people think that's some tough. And I was just just coaching, it's teaching. It's, there was nothing hard about what coach was doing because one thing about coach, if you deal with 
he asks you to do, you'll be successful. And that was the bottom line. So everything, after maybe a first couple of weeks, because I didn't understand, when you come out of high school, you think you're a big shot. You think you got to figure it out. And I was never disrespectful to coach and staff or anything like that. But in your mind, you think you haven't figured it out. But like coach always say, just let your guard down and allow me to coach you. And what happened was, once I sold my coach, I always said, sell yourself to the team. And once I completely gave myself to the team, I started to flourish as a basketball player because everything I was doing, when he, when he said do it in the beginning, the first you know, 10, 12 games, I was doing it because I was trying to play. But it wasn't in my heart to do it. And once I completely committed to everything coach said and do, and then I became a successful basketball player. And we had success. And whatever success is for me, it was my success. It wasn't the same level as Woody Austin when he was a senior, but I averaged five points a game as a freshman. I thought I had a great year, so that was my success. Right. But, uh, you know, when you talk about that, though, and, you know, if I go back to my life, I I was horrible. Every place I went, I just, you know, I never listened, and, and I paid the price for it somewhere and ended up in the Army. It was the Army that taught me those lessons, the lessons that you learned here at Purdue. But... I wonder now, as a coach, uh, why why do kids and and I guess it's just because they're eighteen, nineteen years old, maybe seventeen. Why do they fight it so hard? Why why do you fight the coach so hard? Is it just because you're used to playing, and uh, you know it's the first time in your life that you're playing with people who are your equal or better? Well, I think clearly in my case, I never I never want to disrespected coaching and staff and that was never my nature but and it wasn't really a fight for me it was just the unknown you gotta understand I'm in a different world so to speak even though it's in the same country even though it's probably two states over for me it's a different world from where I come from so now all of a sudden and, and I'll be if, if we honest here and we all family be frank here it's the first time a man of a different color that I've been around and now all of a sudden he, he becomes my teacher my father so to speak right so now I have to hang my hat on everything he says. That's not easy because there's so many unknowns. A guy that's really getting in you and coaching and teaching you. I was like, oh, man, oh, oh, my, my, my mom was the only one that talked to me like that. So, yeah. you know, yeah. but it was, it was all good. It, it was never any disrespect, but it just in the back of my mind. It's a trust But the issue. other part was in having Glenn Robinson as a roommate, Glenn had to sit out that year. And it, it, it was nice. I didn't play and tough nights and I, I you know I go to the dorm upset and Glenn said man keep working keep pushing it's gonna be all good and so you had a guy that was in the room with me encouraging as opposed to oh man you should be playing more good and he wasn't like that and that's the other side of Glenn with his level of compassion man you got to keep working keep going it'll be all right and it worked out but today I think with a lot of young guys especially nowadays with the exposure to social media and I'm not saying anything wrong with that um now they're marketing their own brand. So now when you're constantly selling yourself, well, it's hard to say I'm not playing as a freshman. It's hard to say I'm struggling. Sure. It's hard to say I'm, I'm, I'm failing in the class because I've marketed myself as a star for so long. So now I have to find a way to find a level of humility and some compassion for these other guys in the locker room that might be a little bit older, might be a little bit better. doesn't mean I'm less than. They might just have a little more right now. So how do I learn and understand how to operate in this environment and continue to grow. And I tell these guys all the time, if you can commit to being successful, and in order to do that, you have to be relentless in your pursuit to be great, relentless. And those are hours. I used to, because I hated rehabbing my knee. I, from the time I stepped on that campus 
to the time I left, I hated rehabbing my knee all the time. I just, and I, I shouldn't say hate, that's a harsh word. I disliked it when you go on six or seven in the morning rehab. Then you go to class. Then you got to rehab after practice. You got to ice it. You got to stretch it. Get, get your knee 90 grand. For four plus years, I, I was exhausted. Wow. And then I stay after practice. All these things. So now you get to a point where, like, when I was done playing, I was done playing. I mean, because I exhausted everything in me and I appreciate everything Purdue provided for me. But I didn't want to play anymore because I did everything I could do to max out my talent for that school. And I, and I say that in a good way. Well, there's a story around here that uh, they, when you got to campus, they took a look at your knees and the trainers basically came back and told Coach Katie, he won't play here. He's, he's got, you know, bone on bone in those knees. He's not going to play. And Obviously, uh, you did play and played at a high level. And just, I know you're very modest, but you had a, a tremendous career and, and, and a lot of great memories and uh, accolades here, two Big Ten titles in your, during your tenure. I know you like to claim that third because you say that uh, exactly. Coach, Coach Brantley's <laughs> class, were, they were your kids, and you taught them. So <laughs> I, I, I brought that up one time. I said, yeah, uh, Coach Martin's got two rings. And he said, no, 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 I got three. I said, Zoe, you left. They won more, won more after you left. He said, those are my kids. I taught them that's my ring. <laughs> now, 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 Blue, I, I don't want those guys trying to fight me. I said, those are my little brothers. See, what happened was I felt like I was a part of that third championship because, again, that was family. Because you got to understand, Brandon, Todd Foster, Hurt, we all came in together. Right. So those are my brothers. Even though they're my little brothers, those are my brothers. So – I, I need to share that, that 96 ring too, though. Now, I want to talk about that mentality you guys had because, and Cliz brings this up a lot, we talk about, and I think you were the you were probably the, the, the generator of this, but um, the swagger you guys played with. Um, we'll tell stories, uh, we'll go, like for instance, for our, there's some background for our fans, like we may be playing at Ohio State and we stay at a hotel that's across the street from St. John's Arena. And I think every year we pull into that hotel, we look across the street to St. John's, and I think Cliz every year says, there it is. There's the building. We lit up Ohio State, and Conzo Martin was blowing kisses to the crowd. And he had, but, we, but when we talk about those stories, we, hear, we talk about the swagger you guys had. And there's a you you have to have that especially when you go on the road and and all those people are against you that's just i think that's just something winners have don't would, would you agree with that well I, th- I think the whole thing is when you when you work so hard when, when you work as hard and, and one thing about it purdue and this might be a sales pitch for purdue basketball i love those guys and paints like a brother to me so I'll, I'll sell it but you had to work hard and it was understood as a way of life so when you put that kind of work in, man, you you almost have to rejoice when you get on the floor. And I've never been a guy. When I was in high school, I didn't do a lot of talking. I didn't do it all the blowing those kisses and all that. You can look at my freshman, I didn't do as much as that. But, man, you, you get to a point. Because one, one thing I knew when I stepped on the floor, and I'm not a guy that fight. I'm not a violent guy anything like that. But in my mind, there was not going to be a tougher guy on the floor when we stepped on the floor. I was not going to be a guy that defends hard and I defend. Not going to be a guy that works hard and I work. Because those are the things I can control every night. So now with that being said, let's go out and have some fun because we work so hard. In the summer months in West Lafayette, June and July, the, the running, the weightlifting, 6 a.m., it was exhausting. But <laughs> these are results of hard work. So let's put this work in and have some fun with it. And we just felt like there was no – when we stepped on the floor, there would not be a tougher team 
when we stepped in. Our teams were a lot of talent, and some nights it just didn't go for us. But you weren't going to be a tougher team than us. I know my favorite uh, my favorite moment um, of that in that vein from you was your senior year, and it was a CBS afternoon game. Uh, you guys played Michigan here. I believe it was your senior night. Um, you clinched the Big Ten. Uh, CBS nationally televised game. Bill Raftery's on the call. And you made a shot and went down the floor, and your mom was in the stands. And at that at that time, before the Mackey renovations, the parents sat kind of in the pit area there, opposite of the benches. And you looked over and blew your mom a kiss after you made a basket going down the floor. And as they were going to commercial break, they showed you doing that in slow-mo. And Raftery says, as he you know so perfectly can say, uh, you know, the Boilermakers on their way to a Big Ten title, and Zoe with a kiss as he looked over to his mom. It was, I mean, it was awesome. And it was just the, those those years were so special um, because you guys, as you mentioned, all the hard work you guys put in, but then to see it come to fruition and win those Big Ten titles, that had to be extremely rewarding to see your work pay off like that. It, it was a great feeling uh, because – just like obviously Purdue won a Big Ten championship last year. It's a hard thing to do. That's all because everybody's talented. Everybody has scouting reports. Everybody has film. Everybody has good players. Everybody has good coaches. To be able to sustain blows, especially when you're on the road, to find ways to get a road win and to have the character, the, the mental toughness, uh, the strength, all of a sudden shots are falling. They making a run. The crowd get into it. Okay, let's settle down, guys. We're okay, let's find a way. Let's get a stop. Let's execute offense. Run the floor. All those things that you, the the adrenaline, the emotions, and you look at some guys' eyes. I, I used to see those eyes. Like, come on, guys. I mean, yeah. when, when I was there, I think Brad might have been a starter. Chad might have been a starter my senior year. And, and those guys, they were very talented guys. But it was my job to make sure that they were okay. They were okay. Don't worry. Just play your game. Anything else, need, I'll take care of you. And I think that was the biggest key, just to to win at that level and have passion for your teammates. But our guys in the locker room, one thing we were ready to play. It didn't matter, didn't matter where we played. That we were ready to play. I mean, again, you're talking about one of the toughest guys that's still there, Todd Foster. I mean, just battle tested. You're talking about a guy that was funny and behind the scenes had energy and passion. Todd Foster was one. Of, he's one of those guys. Hey, I want to before we get to. Uh start about an incredible journey to your coaching career. I want to know the uh, uh, how the name Conzo, how, how you became Conzo Martin, how, how you were named. But before I say that, I was at a party one day, and the cutest little terrier dog walked across the room, and I was <laughs> petting the dog and uh, looked at the owner, and I said, oh, man, this is really a cute dog. What's its name? Conzo. I said now, now, now. I said now, now, now. Tell me, it's not named after the basketball player, right? Con- oh yeah, oh yeah. It's named after Conzo Martin. I said, oh man, that's that. How how did how did that name come up? Because it there's no question, it's one of the great names in sports. It, there's there's just none that's cooler. Anyway, how did it happen? Well, how it happened? Uh, my grandmother, who's she passed away. She was 100 years old. She passed away in May of 16, I think. And uh, she was uh, two weeks away from her 101st birthday. But she grew up in Arkansas. And uh, my dad, who his middle name is Conzo, his first name is Peter, his middle name is Conzo. And the doctor that delivered my dad, that was his name, is an Italian. 
So it's an Italian name, but he's, I, I assume it's Italian name. I've heard it for years, Italian name, but it, the doctor delivered my dad. I'm not sure if this is his first name or his last name. Wow. Uh-huh. wow. That's a great story. Great story. We, uh, now, yeah. another, uh, uh, another name story. When I was uh, the sports information guy here, I went over to, to uh, Zoe's house to get a family photo done for the media guide. And uh, we go over there and take a photographer, and, uh, and and the family's getting situated there on the couch, and uh, the photographer's moving them around a little bit here and there. And uh, I don't, I can't remember if he said Kuzo or something like that. <laughs> he did, he did. He said, uh, uh, "Kuzo, you you sit right over here." And Zoe and I made and Zoe and I made eye contact. And we didn't say anything, but we made eye contact enough where, you know, you're in a room and, and you, you, you get that look from somebody else and you both want to start laughing. And he's got to stand there and smile now for this photo, and he wants to laugh so bad. It, it, it took twice as long to get that photo done than it should have because he was trying to hold the laughter in. So um, I wanted to ask you one thing. We, we, you referenced Coach Katie a little bit. Do you find yourself – um, either saying anything that coach used to say or I mean I'm sure you, you've, you've been influenced by him but do you ever revert or kind of let something slip that he would say and then like think to yourself boy I can't believe I've I'm saying stuff that coach used to say to us when I was a player I do it all the time and then you know because because it, it was it was right whatever he said you know mm-hmm. I, you know he said his jokes and all that but the thing about it, when coach said it some of the stuff you didn't understand when you were younger because he probably got it from TV shows and actors that were kind of <laughs> older. We were hitting the same stuff I'm doing now. That I'll say stuff and these guys don't understand where it comes from. So, but the thing I always go back to: if it's right, then it's right. However you said it, it's right information. That, that's one thing Coach always stood on. It, it was always sound information. But I do it all the time. We use uh, we bring it up here. That you know, Coach well, had yeah, the, we all do. I the mean, term it's... "happy warrior." And you know things like that that Coach always said. We it, it, they're still bouncing off these walls here. At, now at he Purdue. now he calls all of us quite a bit now, though. And I are you oh, on you, are you, know you on his Rolodex? I mean, does he call you? Hey, to be totally honest with you, like I can see the picture checks. Coach just called me probably five minutes before you guys called. Me. <laughs> well, yeah. Now he now he's talking to me the other night, and he says he calls me like at eight thirty, and he says, "Now I'm telling you." They should make a movie after Conzo. Conzo needs a movie made after him. I mean, what a story. Conzo needs a movie made after him. I'm telling you. And I said, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, he has some pretty good material there. I agree. Oh, man. So, Cliz, we did that. Who, who would play Coach Katie in the movie? Oh, that's a good question. You got, let me think about it. By the time we finish this thing, I'll come up with somebody. Oh, boy. So... And, and part of I, I think part of the story that that Coach Kitty's is talking about is you leave Purdue, and you play overseas, and and talk us through that journey. What what countries were you in, and and how long were you over there playing professionally? Well, uh, when I left, got drafted by the, the Hawks in '95. Then I had a lockout, I think, and I came back. The Hawks let me go, so I played in the CBA, which is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then I uh, got picked up by, I think, the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies at the end of the year. So I finished with the Grizzlies. And going to the next season, uh, I went back into the CBA and I got picked up by the Bucks. So as a second season, that third season, I went to uh, Avellino, Italy. 
and uh, it was uh, I was doing very well. And then I think uh, so. This is '97, and uh, you guys probably heard the story. And I was going up and down the floor, and I was uh, breathing hard, and I passed out on the court. And they did tests and x-rays in Italy. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the owner of the team had me over to his house, and he just said, you need to get back to the States immediately. And they said at the time, we think it's bronchitis. And we had we had five or six guys that they were on the team. One, one was from the United States, and four of the guys, they were Italian, but they went to college in the United States, and they could speak fluent English. Mm-hmm. And just the way they were sounding at the time, it, it didn't seem like something was just, just bronchitis. Right. But I was so exhausted and, and kind of excited to get home, really. So we flew from Rome to New York, New York to Indianapolis, where I live. And we got into the house maybe one fifteen or one thirty. And uh, as soon as I walked through the door, I had my son Joshua, who was four and a half months at the time, who was a, was a sophomore at Purdue as we speak. But I walked through the door, and I was so exhausted, I just passed out on the couch. And I dropped Joshua on the couch, and, and luckily the couch was right there. And then Roberta came back out to the living room. Uh, and I was on the couch just laying down. I just said, we need to get to the hospital right away. And we went to the hospital in Indy, and um, they did tests and x-rays there. So I said it was about 2.30, 3 o'clock maybe, when they finished all the tests and x-rays, and the doctor said, um, I don't know if you're going to die, but this is life-threatening. And I just kind of I, I looked at Roberta. I just glanced at her, and I looked away because I, I didn't want to fixate my eyes on her because I, I know I'd be very emotional and, and nothing wrong with that but I just felt like I, I need to be strong for her especially with you know Josh being four months four months old so mm-hmm. so I guess about two or three days and this was around Thanksgiving time so I guess about I was in the hospital for two days and they couldn't come in the room because they were hoping that it was tuberculosis so they wouldn't allow them in the room and then uh, once they did it found out it was uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma's form of cancer they allowed me to go home for Thanksgiving, and I, I couldn't eat any food. It was just Roberta and I and Joshua, and I couldn't eat any food. I was so exhausted. Um, and, I, you know, I, I haven't asked Roberta this to this day, and uh, I haven't even talked to the doc, and it, which he was a great man. But I wonder if they let me go home because they just felt like it was, um, hmm. it, was it, it would be a fight to, to that I probably couldn't win. Wow. Um, but, I, but I've never asked Roberta that question, and this is probably the first, second time I actually said it coming out of my mouth now, but, uh, and I don't know if I ever asked the question, but, so, so I did chemotherapy for about four and a half months, and, uh, and that was, that was a tough one. That was, a, again, because it was the first time in my life where I felt like I had no control over the situation at all, and just, and really at that point, all I did, I, my, my, my constant prayer was just allow me to see Joshua turn 18. That was it. I, I, I didn't, mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I just said, whatever happens after that happens. And he's 20 years old now, so. I met, him the, other, I met, him, I met him the other day, so first time uh, we were just walking over to the Fresh Market, get a bite to eat with paint, and uh, ran into him and had a nice conversation with him. Oh, he's a good guy. I mean, he's, uh, he's the best guy I've ever been around. Great kid. He, uh, I remember last year when he first, when he was a freshman, he came by, <laughs> came by the office and he said, uh, Hey, you think we could get a selfie I could send back home to mom and dad? I said, absolutely. Get over here. <laughs> it was, it was great. So, it's uh, so you 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 start the treatment and everything. Um, obviously things work out in, in that regard. Um, and, and then at that point, were you pretty much? It was pretty. I would assume decided that basketball was probably playing anyway was probably over 
What made you decide then to um, get into the coaching area? Well, what happened was, so when my last treatment uh, treatment check, was April the 20th of 98. So the 98-99 season, when, when we got to August, September, I felt pretty good. My, my health was back. So I went back and played in the CBA. And, and I did some good things. It wasn't, wasn't nothing great, but I did some good things. And then all of a sudden, that next year, I got my health back. I uh, signed the contract to go back and play for the same team. Mm-hmm. And then maybe uh, two weeks or a week or two somewhere before I started to go, Coach Coach called me and said, I'll have an opportunity for you to be on my staff. You want to be on the staff. But I had to go back and finish up school. So at that point, it was over for me. I just said it was time to give it up. Because I'm, I knew it, I was really buying time because my knees get on hold up for so long. And, and, and the fear... Somewhere in the back of my mind, and I, and I love all countries, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I felt like being being over there maybe contributed to the the cancer, which it didn't, but it was just in the back of my mind. So I just said, if something happened, I'd rather be here in the States when it happened. So, mm-hmm. And Coach called me an opportunity. So I coached over at West Lafayette, Jeff High School, and uh, did that for a year with the JV team and assisted voices. That was, and that was a great experience for me, just learning different things and how, you know, how young guys move in a locker room because – it was the first time being back in the locker room at that level since I left college. So there's so many things that you still have to learn. So that really helped me in a major way. Then I was on coach staff, you know, coaching paint staff for eight years. And I learned a lot of valuable lessons. Um, it's totally different, uh, you know, being a player, then all of a sudden now you're a coach. It's, it's, it's really different. It's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, I remember when I came uh, on staff as the sports information contact and uh, – uh, Zoe and I, a lot of a lot of uh, great conversations and a lot of time spent, and it was a, a very uh, interesting time in Purdue basketball because of the transition from Coach Katie uh, to Coach Painter coming aboard. And you know, you were you were on as you said on both staffs, uh, both staffs that you know to oversee. Uh, it's one thing to have a coaching transition, but in Coach Katie's case, um, you know, twenty five years as you know the kind of the godfather of this program. And then the unique transition where Coach Painter's an assistant for a year and then, you know, taking over the year after that. Um, just talk about those times. I mean, it was transition-wise, you know, you know you're going to be working for Paint a year later, but in the meantime, you're working for Coach Katie. And I, I probably couldn't have worked out unless all you guys knew each other the way you did and had all played for Coach Katie, don't you think? Yeah, I think, um, again, since we've been frank here, uh, and, I, and I tried to be any other way, the only way that situation worked, uh, Paint, because Paint was as strong as he was, you know, because it's, it's tough, you know, because there are a lot of things that you can't say. And, and obviously, Coach is like a father. I mean, Coach did tremendous jobs. And, and when Paint's on the staff and, and he takes over as a new coach, he can't say we're not very good. Uh, uh, we're struggling. We got to recruit, but all those things, because he just played for the guy. That was his college coach. So, so you have to be very careful in how you even say things, even though it's the truth. It's the truth. I was a part of the staff that we didn't do a very good job. I was learning. It took me three years to learn what it means to be a decent assistant coach. So I was a part of coach not having the success he needs, and that's part of growth for me as an assistant coach. To understand, I didn't do my job at the level. I thought I was doing a good job, but 
but I didn't, and I wasn't ready. So I'm forever grateful for Coach he just even giving me an opportunity. But I thought it had to work. The only way it was going to work is if Matt Painter made it work, and Matt did a tremendous job with being humble and, and taking blows that he probably shouldn't have taken, you know. And it just and that just speaks volumes about him as a man. But that wasn't that wasn't an easy thing to do. But I, think about it. I'm sitting in the room, so Payne said, "Man, we got to do a better job recruiting." Well, I'm one of the guys that was on the staff. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think it worked because. Payne, yeah, I mean, that's why I say it's just the truth of the matter. It worked because Paint allowed it to work, and Paint took a lot of bullets, and he didn't have to. And that's why. You, uh, I, one of the things that was so um, rewarding, and we talked about this with uh, with Paul Lusk last week, um, you know, when you guys came aboard, it was a grind to get this thing going. And the hours you guys spent recruiting and coaching and game planning, strategizing. Um, but then – you know, we, we, we get David Teague and, and Carl Landry uh, as seniors on a, and then we infuse the backcourt with Keaton Grant and Chris Kramer. Um, and we, we start to turn the corner. We get to back to the NCAA tournament. Um, that, that had to be extremely rewarding to see. Again, like similar to when you played, all your efforts pay off, but all the efforts you guys put in, the time you put in coaching um, was rewarded with, you know, a, a successful season and a trip to the NCAA tournament. It, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, you know. It, it was, you know, for me as a coach. Of course, you you win games, you lose games, but the joy in that for me, recruiting quality student athletes, just as a staff, the staff working relentless hours, but 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 happy about working those hours. You know, sometimes you can be in work environments like, man, I can't wait to get home. Now, bloom now, and you also remember, I drove four hours. I mean, hour each way. Yeah. I lived in Indianapolis for yeah. four years, so. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, and and I took and I took pride in the fact that I was not getting that office anything less than eight thirty in the morning because I didn't want paint like I mean because I had a job to do paint paint didn't tell me to live in Indianapolis I chose to do that and the reason why I did that my wife had an opportunity to work downtown Eli Lilly in Indianapolis and in that transition when paint and you know Coach Weber was at Illinois you know Coach Weber called me about the opportunity to be at Illinois and I just felt like if I was going to be anywhere because I was, I was even thinking about going to grad school at IUPUI just to finish up. And then when Payne had the opportunity, I just felt like if I would be anywhere, to be at Purdue because I want to see Purdue be the program that it's supposed to be. And uh, But in that transition, my wife had the promotion in Indianapolis, so now I'm driving four hours, I mean, hour each way for four years, and you're talking about exhausting. Woo. <laughs> and it just, that, 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 and the thing about it is it wasn't as if I could stay in West Lafayette on certain nights because Joshua and Chase had to be at daycare at a certain amount of hours because nine hours in daycare. So that means Roberta drops them off. Or if I, so what happened is she, I'll drop them off in the morning. She has to pick them up. So it has to be nine hours. So I couldn't stay in West Lafayette on certain nights. I had to get home because she worked. And it was just, it was a, it was a great experience and one to talk about, but I enjoyed being with our staff because we worked in, uh, you know, and paint, man, paint those. Another thing gets you when paint go to lunch, man. Paint go to lunch like it's wings and fries and this and this. Like, man, <laughs> you ready to fall asleep out the lunch. But it's nonstop. But it just, it was a joy to see the program get to where it was supposed to be. So when I left Purdue, I felt good about the job that we did. And now you can go in peace. Well, I can tell you that hasn't changed. We're still eating pretty darn good uh, as, as a program. So, uh, so you you uh we have success here and i and i i talked about this with paul um 
you know, you guys were extremely attractive coaching candidates, head coaching candidates as assistants, because I think people saw the job you did to turn, to get things going again back here at Purdue. Um, Coach Katie's coaching tree, very well respected. They know, knew you were coming from a, a great background in that regard. Um, you get named head coach at Missouri State, um, 2008, um, start your, your coaching career there. And, uh, two years or three years total at Missouri State and in your third year you guys win the league uh, you go 26 and 9 and win the league for the first time in, in a long time um, talk about those years in uh, in Springfield they, they were good times I mean, now I'll say well I should they, they were good times that first year wasn't a great time to be honest with you but man that <laughs> that first year because I, I I I was happy being an assistant coach and the one thing about just like Paul Lust. Uh, we, we weren't self-promoters. We weren't guys that man trying to uh, be out here and campaign to get a head job somewhere else. We were just doing our job. We were happy doing our job in West Lafayette, and I was okay. And I was okay with where I was. But you know, an opportunity presented itself. You know, paint like man, that's a great opportunity. You got to take it. So you take the job. And that first year, I think we won ten games. And I, and I think in going through that, because we we didn't have a lot when we first took over the program, and the hard part is just. You, you you become the guy. So now it's hard to go home and say to your wife, well, I'm, sh- I'm struggling with this. or We got this going on. How do we handle this? When she's sitting there saying, well, I'm at home with the kids, you know, and, and I'll listen to you, of course. And, and it's hard to go to your assistant coaches and say, man, I'm really struggling with this because they lean on you as a leader. Right. And then, you know, your, your world becomes so small because you don't want to seem – when, and this is the mentality when you're younger, you don't want to seem as if you're a failure because it's not working. Let me call somebody. But as you get older and wisdom through time, you understand, make all the calls you can. So I just think when, you, when you're going through and you're young, uh, you, you think you got to figure it out. But it's so hard and you really don't uh, because it's it's one thing, one thing to think you know what you know in your mind as far as running the play. Anybody can run a play or drop a play. you got to execute a play. Do you have a personnel to run the play? Are your guys happy? Are they working hard? There's so many things involved. Your assistant coach is on the same page. Uh, are we all bought in? Are we all in this thing together? Do we all have compassion for each other? Are we committed to tell each other the truth and be honest with you? I mean, so there's so many things before you even get to the floor. And you and, and I think the, the, the blessing and the curse about an assistant coach is you're behind the scenes and you're behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Because what happens, you don't get exposed to a lot, good or bad. And I think I think that's probably one of the downsides of being an assistant coach. You need to get exposed to some things before you go through some things. Because if it's the first time you're going through it as a head coach, some guys don't bounce back. I know I've heard uh, Coach Painter talk about it a lot. He said when you get to be a head coach, it's lonely. You and you just said it. Your your world shrinks. It's it, you want to you want to be able to talk to other guys who are going through it, but nobody immediately around you is a head coach so now you have to seek out other head coaches and you guys are all so busy now you got to find time to talk to these other guys and it's it can be it, that part can be challenging um you, it, it, it is you guys you, so then you you have success uh win the league um you you then become head coach at tennessee you're at tennessee three seasons uh you make the move to cal you're at cal three seasons um i i had a feeling when when Missouri and Illinois both opened, I thought, you know, somebody's going to get, somebody's going to be very lucky here to get, to get coach Martin. Um, what talk to us about Mizzou, that opportunity, 
how you, what made you feel like that's the right place? Because I've seen a lot of uh, articles and quotes from you that this is a place now that you can really put some deep roots down. Um, talk to us about that, the, the experience there at Mizzou. Well, I just think, you know, I, I, I've, um, in, in all my places, uh, I've enjoyed the experience uh, and learning because I, I love learning and growing because it's life. Everything I learned at Missouri State, everything I learned at Tennessee, everything I learned at Cal Berkeley, everything is different. Then you come to Missouri, this, this is my 10th year as a head coach, so you gain wisdom over time. All the mistakes you've made, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, here you are. Now it slows down for you because you've experienced it, and, and I've made that mistake before. So when this happens again, I know how to handle this one. Because before you're just going. So, and taking over at Mizzou, I felt like it was a tremendous opportunity, uh, and not so much being close to home. That when Roberta and I sat down to make the decision, uh, as we really enjoyed being in California, but when we sat down to make the decision, uh, we wanted the last factor to be the proximity of where I grew up at. So when we weighed, all, weighed everything out, this was the best place. Um, so I, I think, because at the end of the day, it's, it's basketball. You have the resource, you have facilities. You have a great location. You have a great fan base. You have all the things to be successful. And I saw you have asked for in our profession, give you every opportunity to be successful. And if you don't, you still got to make it work. But I just thought it was a, it was a great opportunity. Uh, and I just try to take it one day at a time. So, so far, uh, you guys are off to a good start. Um, I know I've, I've caught you a few times. Uh, saw you in your tournament in Orlando. I saw you the other night when you played Coach Owens. Um, and, and the Miami team, and I got to tell you, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's really great. I mean, it's, it's great to watch all you, all the guys who have been here as assistants, and they, and, and now they're head coaches, and we, we do watch every game we can. Um, to see one on each sideline like that, it was, it was really cool. And I know, even though you and and Jack did not coach together here, um, once you kind of become part of that Purdue family. Everybody starts to know everybody. Even though you weren't on a staff together, I know that you know Jack's a guy you talk to from time to time just about coaching things. Yeah, we talk Jack and I, and also uh, Cat, which people Brandon, Brandon, we 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 text a lot together uh, on di- different topics, man. And between those guys, Jack and Brantley, those guys are going back and forth between who the best, LeBron, Kobe. I mean, just. These guys are doing my time now. It's like uh, <laughs> LeBron it's and Kobe. Yeah, they're that bringing that up. Up. <laughs> It's funny, but no, you know, really, and, and I said this, uh, I think Jack has something special there because the thing about him, they play hard. They play together. He have three talented young freshmen. He has a uh, junior point guard. I think they'll kick up a lot of dust in the league. And Jack's a good guy. It, it was fun to see Jack. And Jack's you know, if you don't know Jack, Jack is laid back. He goes about his business, he does his job at a high level, but he's not a very vocal guy, it seems. But <laughs> Jack has some passion and energy on that sideline, which it was funny to me watching. But I was happy to see him do his thing. Well, Coach Brantley does a unbelievable Jack impression, and, and we ask him almost on a daily basis around the office, say, hey, hey, Coach, what would uh, what would J.O. do in that situation? And then when that impression comes out, it is hilarious. And uh, he also does a pretty good Conzo Martin impression too, and, and we <laughs> and we ask him to break that out from time to time. Well, too, you do so. a pretty, you do you do a pretty good uh, Conzo. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, 
Bloom, but Bloom does almost everybody's, you know, so, but uh, he's, <laughs> he does, and he's he? very, very good at it. And I know, I know he does a quiz, but he, he's never done it in front of me, but I know he has one. Well, one, <laughs> one of the stories we always tell about Zoe is, Zoe is the king of giving everybody nicknames. And sometimes <laughs> you would scratch your head of how he arrived at these nicknames. Oh, Payne was talking about yesterday. <laughs> Payne was talking to me about yesterday how he got the name Stash. He's still the, he's still he's he's scratching his head on that one still. <laughs> you talk about the long way around to get to somewhere. So, like for for instance, and he did it earlier in this podcast. He called me Berg, so he would call me Bloomberg. And then he would shorten it to Berg. So, so to this day, you know, I'll I'll check the scores and Zoe will get a big win somewhere, and I'll text him, "Hey, way to go!" And he'll text back, "Thanks, Berg, appreciate it." <laughs> and so, it's just one of those things that stuck. We had a manager one time who we took a trip to Europe in May of '02, and this manager was was taking some was really working hard to take all the bags around between city from city to city to unload the bus, load the bus up. And so one day, uh, uh, Coach Katie's wife was very kind and gave him a little tip, you know, a little spending money. Hey, thanks for all your work and, and helping everybody with these bags. Put a little money in his pocket. <laughs> so so Zoe says, Zoe says, you got those bills, huh? He said, yeah, yeah. Miss Katie gave me some bills. He goes, you got those dollars, huh? Yeah. So then he started, he started calling him Bill, and then he started calling him Dollar. And so for the next two years of this kid's tenure in our program, his name was either Dollar or Bill. <laughs> so if you didn't know the if you didn't know the manager's name, yeah. you thought, well, the kid's name kid's name's William. They call him Bill. No, that's just something Zoe gave him for me. <laughs> and that's how that that's how that usually worked when Zoe was around. So Oh my goodness. That's still his name to this day. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let me let me say this though before let me say this though before we before we wrap this up before we get to our final four or anything. But I you know I've been around this program now for I think it's my forty first year, and I want people to know out there there's not a better representative of this university or the college basketball world than this guy we're talking to right now, Conzo Martin, one of the Thank best. You. Thank you. And we always talk about our Kliz's favorite players, and we will bring up guys from the past. and 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 Coach Painter always say, Kliz, where he where's he rank on your favorites list? And they all got to get around Conzo Martin. He's right at the top, and it's been that way since at least as long as I know. I've, I've known Kliz. So well, and that well, Paint always wants hey, to know. Where, hey, Paint. I, got, I got a tidbit. Yeah, I got one tidbit uh, for you guys. Whenever they whenever they say whoever the greatest players are, I'm not boasting or bragging anything. Make sure they have a criteria behind it. Because you, you got to win games now. You got to win games. You got to lead now. Well, you know that. Make, make sure when they when they put the criteria, make sure they put it behind it. Well, Payne always asks where I put him on on my list, and when he first got here, where am I on your list? And you know, uh, I'm still doing the games. So I said, Coach, I mean, you weren't in the top 25, but right now you. <laughs> You're number one of my book. <laughs> I'm not easily influenced. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so well, that'll take us into the final four segment. And so these are four questions that we ask every guest on the podcast. They're kind of off-topic questions. So we will start with uh, the first question of the final four for our guest, Conzo Martin. Uh, the question number one is, what is your go-to music of choice? Uh, really... I don't have a particular song, but 
if I had a choice, it's either Michael Jackson or Bob Marley. Those are my first two. Michael Jackson or anything Michael Jackson, Bob Marley. And, and Sam Cooke, those are my three favorites. But Sam yeah. Cooke, more when I'm at home relaxing. But Michael Jackson or Bob Marley. Sam Cooke, excellent. I And I, I got a lot of Bob Marley in my playlist, too. I saw that a few years ago they asked every head coach in the NCAA tournament what their favorite music was. And a guy did like a bracket with all the head coach's music choices. And I saw Zoe enlisted Bob Marley there. I thought that was pretty cool. I think you were the only one to do that. So, which is not surprising yeah. since half the guys are putting country music in there. Not, no <laughs> knock against country, but boy, there are a lot of coaches <laughs> gravitating country. Oh uh, yeah. Well, anyway, it's a different, uh, that's a different podcast. Okay. So, uh, question number two in the final four is, uh, what is your favorite book or a good book that you've read recently? Uh, my favorite book I think I read, and I, I read this one in um, West Lafayette, Good to Great, but also the Energy Bus is a good one. Um, I think uh, Uncommon by Tony Jundi, uh, that was a good one. And I'm reading uh, Phil Knight's book as we speak, uh, Shoot Dog. I should be finished that here shortly. And then the last one I'll read, uh, God, let me see. I got it at home, but Shoot Dog is the one I'm reading as we speak. Well, if it was up to Coach Katie, we'd have a Conzo Martin book out there sometime soon that we could be reading, too. So, to go along with that. Well, we need to start listening, Coach. I always listen to him, so let's keep listening. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Okay, uh, question number three on the final four here. What is, if you could wave a wand and do another profession tomorrow, what would that be? Uh, And this is not necessarily waving a wand. This is my dream. If I can be... Somewhere, um, if they can make the decision, I don't know if the decision comes from the White House, but to make a decision, if I can help the youth as far as, uh, especially young men, I mean, obviously young ladies too, but young men from the ages of six to, you know, high school, just really building relationships with those guys and showing them what it looks like to have integrity, to have passion, to have character, to, to be able to love, to be strong. And, and not fear failing, all those things, just to have relationships with, with, with young guys all across the country and just to lift them up. I mean, because I think that's what's needed. So if there's some type of job like that, um, I would love to do it. Boy, I'd love to uh, I'd love to do it with you. That would be that would be extremely rewarding. That might be the best answer we've ever had for that particular question here on the final. Pretty good one. Just verifies what I just got done saying about him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Final question on the final four here with Conzo Martin. What is um, either something that no one knows about you or a very little-known fact about Conzo Martin? Uh, the, the very little-known fact, God, no one. Uh, oftentimes, I'm, I'm transparent. So I don't know. Um, God, Berg, I mean, just uh, let me think. Uh, I'm probably... Well, you know this because you've been around me, but people sometimes when people watch me on the side and they don't realize how funny I am and what you know behind the scenes. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. So that's a. Uh, I, think I don't that, know. Bergen. I think Maybe that's a good one. I no, I think it's personal demeanor when you watch him. When I, you watch him and don't know him, you I, look at a guy. It's like this guy's a caged animal. <laughs> I, I think that's a. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that look on his face. Uh, so, so, so now I was looking, I was doing a little research this morning and I'm on the Missouri website and I go to the team photo and I see Zoe sitting in the front. He's got in the middle, you know, and he's got the basketball in his hand he, and he's got the meanest look on his, the most exactly. serious yeah. look on his serious. face. 
And I look at that and I say, what a fraud. That dude, he cuts up all the time. And he, and he laughs all the time. I said, that guy's trying to look hard on that photo. I said, come on. No, no, no. I mean, that's that's but, really, really serious. And it's and it's almost like his mentor, Mr. Katie, who acted right. a little more extreme than Conzo does. But none, <laughs> none, nonetheless, it was the same thing. Everybody's perception of him was, well, that guy is mean. I mean, he's just a mean cat. Well, and we... There's a we had a I, I think you were I think you had already left at this point Zoe but remember we used to put the the team photo in the hallway on the wall outside the old offices yeah. in Mackey okay so we took the team photo brand new and we put it up there and at this at this point uh, Jack was on staff and Rick Ray was on staff and those two had the most serious scowls on their face in that team photo <laughs> and Leroy Keys who everybody knows. Uh, Leroy would pop through the office a lot. He had just retired then. He'd, he'd stop by and say hi all the time. And so he was making his rounds. And he and I hear the front door of the office open up. And I hear Leroy rock in and go, Woo! He goes, We got some hard brothers around here. <laughs> and, and I said, Leroy, what are you talking about? He said, Coach Owens and Coach Ray, serious hard brothers in that photo out in the hallway. <laughs> And it was great. It was great to hear him call those guys out. I said, yeah, those guys are acting tough. I said, they're not tough. I said, those dudes are teddy bears. <laughs> you know what, Bloom, though, what's funny, Clear just brought it up. When people see me all the time, they always say how, how tough coach and how mean coach was. That coach, was a, he, was, he was tough and he, he was teaching, but it was tough as a father. It wasn't this, I tell people, it wasn't tough like you feared him. You know, you respected him, but he, he didn't make you afraid of him. It wasn't that kind of tough. I said, I, and I say it now, I can say it now, but Coach is really a teddy bear, and I said it in, in the best way possible. He's a great man. He had great passion. He loved his players. And he he wasn't, because once you got to know Coach and you understood it, again, I was on the other side as an assistant coach, so I saw the other side how funny he was. But right. he And and I, I, I say all the time, I don't know how I'm looking. I really don't. Roberta, Roberta says sometimes, you look so mean on that side. I just... <laughs> I, I, maybe that's what it is. Well, I, whatever it is, whatever, however, regardless of how you act on the sideline, you're doing a great job, and uh, we uh, we we catch you all the time, and we root for you all the time. And anytime we're on a road trip and you're playing, we're following along on our phones. And anytime you're on TV, we're watching along. So uh, keep up the great work. Um, want to want to thank you for taking time to join us today. Yeah, it's really. always always great to talk to you. And uh, I know, it, like I said, I know things are busy, but. Uh, Please uh, give Roberta our best and and your family and uh, tell Josh if he needs uh, if he needs to grab lunch sometime. Come on over here, we can get in on some of those big lunches that our staff has from time to time. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for having me. All right, that was Conzo Martin, everybody. Here, episode thirty-one on the Boiler Brawl podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening, and until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.